0: in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Sort of in keeping with uh, our series for Lent, we're looking at another aspect of Christ and the Atonement, and I'll have a slightly different um, feel to it this morning, Um, so hang in there. Let us read from uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would grant us humility this morning to tremble at your word. Help us to pay
1: attention to your word, to believe your word, and to put your word into practice.
0: Reveal to us the glory of the gospel and the greatness of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Today, generally speaking, not today specifically, but uh, reality shows are sort of all the rage. And I think they're all the rage in part because Produce, They're easy to produce. You don't have to deal with a, di- a diva like Charlie Sheen, who's going to go off the deep end at any particular moment, and uh, who is demanding millions of dollars per episode. So they're pretty cheap to produce. One of the shows that's been on TV that I have not seen, but I've heard about, is Undercover Boss. And maybe some of you have watched that show. For those of you who haven't, I'll explain what kind of goes on in this show. And that is that the boss of a company usually a fairly large company, so no one would recognize him, goes undercover. He goes and begins to work as if he was just an ordinary person working that company. And usually what they do is they, they put him in sort of like one of the lowest positions possible. It's not like he spends the day in the, I don't know, the accounting office. <laughs> I think they really try to humble this guy and make it really tough on him, you know. Uh, he owns the franchise of the fast food restaurant, and he's flipping burgers and mopping the floor, that kind of thing. And uh, usually what happens is he gets a taste of how the other side lives. That's sort of what the whole theme is going He begins to understand what it is like for others to work for him in his organization. And uh, usually what happens at the end is the great reveal. as everyone realizes kind of who he is. And it's like, oh, my goodness, that was my boss. Um, <laughs> I insulted that guy. no. Uh, But something happens, and he is revealed for who he really is, and things change. Palm Sunday is the day that at least the big three apostles, because they had seen the transfiguration, but most likely, I'm sure they they talked about it with the rest of the disciples on the way to Jerusalem, they expected most likely the big reveal. They expected that this would be the day that Jesus would enter Jerusalem and that this would trigger all of the events that would result in Jesus being known as the Messiah and sitting upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. That's what they longed to have happened that day, and that is not what happened that day. Philippians 2 I think gives us a better understanding of precisely why it didn't happen that day. The big idea is that Jesus is the pattern for following the savior and some of you might be going, "Oh, hey, wait a minute." He is the pattern for following. Paul here clearly in this text, while Teaching what Jesus did to save is also using what Jesus did to save for, to develop a pattern for us to follow. And we see this not just here in Philippians chapter 2, but we see this also in First Peter. He does this. We, see, we saw it even last week in First John. Why is it that we are supposed to love one another? He reveals love. We see what happened. The, the saving act is a revelation, a manifestation of God's love, and we were supposed to live in the same way. And so the problem is only if we talk about the pattern and we don't talk about the saving work. Okay? Paul and Peter and John bring them together. Okay? At first we are justified, and then we imitate. Okay? So that's sort of what unfolds in this passage here for us this morning. So that's why I think the big idea is Jesus is the pattern for following the Savior. This is, this is written in the context of an application point by Paul because he starts off with this statement, have this have uh, this mindset, probably a better way of putting that, among yourselves or have this attitude which is yours in Christ Jesus. He, he's, he's giving the the teaching about what Jesus did to show them what they're supposed to think like, who they're supposed to be. And so that's the approach I'm going to take with this text this morning. And it starts with incarnation. They're to have the mindset of incarnation for freely forsaking rights and privileges. This starts with sort of a strange thing, and this is one of those passages where I'm not excited about what the ESV does, but that's okay. All right? because it talks about him being in the form of God and it uses that word morphe which you know transformation okay we got morphe going on there okay but it can mean the shape of something but it can also mean the essential character of something And so the question sort of is, you know, is he in the shape or the form of God? And we know, of course, that God has no body. He has no shape. He has no form. And so it's really not talking about that. And this is one of the places where the NIV, I think, being less literalistic and more capturing the thought of what's going on, talks about how Jesus is in very nature God. He doesn't just look like God. He is God. Okay? It's not like, you know, uh, an imitation contest. You know, like one of those celebrity look-alikes, something like that. Oh, he looks like God. We had a friend, I had a guy on campus, uh, a friend of mine who, um, when he grew out his hair and he grew his beard, everyone, oh, he looks like Jesus. Uh, no, I don't think he did. He doesn't look very Semitic to me. But uh, nonetheless, it's, that's not the concept. It's not like he's looking like God. But he is, by his very nature, in his person, God. Jaden's catechism that we're occasionally working on um, puts it this way, that he was God and became man. And there's part of that that sort of the theologian in me kind of goes, "Mm -hmm." he still was God. It wasn't like he used to be God and became man. He remained God, but he also became man. That's part of what's going on here. But what it is, is he says that equality with God was not something to be grasped, meaning not something to be, to be robbed. It, it, was, it was due Him. It was not something to be seized or to be held onto, to cling to. Jesus here is not going for some sort of power grab. Nor is He going to cling to the power that was His by right. Either way, you want to look at this. These things are true, and they're, they're to Paul's point. Instead of clinging to his rights, instead of clinging to his privileges, Paul says he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. What does it mean for Jesus to empty himself? Some have thought that it means that he essentially stops being God. And that's not what it means. I think it's really defined by the clauses that follow it because they're connected within the same sentence. We don't want to go to just mere speculation. We want to see what the text says about this. But what is important here that I want us to stop and note is that all of this is active, not passive verbs. And so Jesus is doing this to himself. This is not something that is being forced upon him, not being done to him by someone else. So Jesus is the one who makes himself nothing it wasn't someone else making himself nothing what happened he took the form of a slave same word that is used earlier morphe morphon okay he he takes on the essential character of a slave it wasn't just like he looked like a slave it wasn't like he just decided like a a, a, a costume party Okay, and let's just pretend. It's not like undercover boss where he's just kind of looking like his employees. He's pretending to be one of his employees, but he's he's really not. Jesus really made himself
1: a slave. As one who had no rights, as one who had no privileges.
0: Now, an undercover boss, the, the, the boss for a while, he, he's forsaking his rights. It's sort of, he sort of empties himself of his rights and his privileges because he's not going to his office. He's not telling people what to do. He's coming under the authority of other people, you know, pretending, so to speak, uh, coming under the authority of other people. But here's the difference. He still goes home at night. Jesus didn't. 24-7. For approximately 33 years, Jesus lived in the essential characteristics, the essential character of a slave. He stayed here. He left all of his glory, all of his privileges in heaven to come not as a tourist, but as a slave. It also says, to, to, to define this idea of making himself nothing, he was born in human likeness. Now, we can be deceived by that. And some people have, have misunderstood that. To, uh, there's an idea that's called docetism. Some of you have heard that phrase. And it's to think or seem. And the docetism teaches that Jesus appeared to be human, sort of like how Superman appears to be human. You know? When he puts on his little glasses and he puts on his nerdy clothes and he, he's Clark Kent, you know, he looks like he's human, but all along, he's really Superman. He's just pretending to be weak and uh, lowly. Okay? That's not the case here. Jesus really was human. He really did, in a way that we really can't comprehend, because he has two natures, he really did, was weak. He really was subject to weakness in his human nature. His person experienced weakness, hunger, tiredness, sadness. And as we heard a little bit from uh, the passage when he enters town and clears out the temple, anger. He was really human. Fully divine, fully human, not a confusion or a mixture of the two, but fully each, not confused, united, but not confused. How are we to have the same mindset? We're not going to change our nature. It's not like we're going to add a a second nature here. That, That is not what Paul is sort of getting at. What he's getting at is that we change our mindset. We change from being privileged to being available. We shift from defending our rights to forsaking our rights, not clinging to them. Hey, man, I'm better than that. You need to treat me well.
1: But of taking the role of a slave. As a servant, something is very different than everything you are told from when you are young
0: in this world, particularly in this individualistic culture. Here in America, aren't we all about our rights? Huh? You know, we get the Bill of Rights. It's not a bad thing to have the Bill of Rights. I'm not critiquing that. But we get so ingrained with this mindset that I must defend my rights. You can't treat me this way. But Paul says that we are to have the same mindset of Jesus who said, you know what, it didn't matter. I'm laying aside my rights. I'm laying aside my
1: privileges. I'm not here to get what's coming to me. I'm here to do something completely different. So following Jesus means that we
0: freely forsake our rights and our privileges. And so this this servant him moves from incarnation and into humiliation, the idea of freely embracing obedience and hardship. It was because he was human, he humbled himself. Again, active, he did this. He who emptied himself now humbles himself. Okay? Meaning he lowered himself. He assigned a lower place to himself than what he should have had. He did not exalt himself. He didn't walk into Jerusalem saying, Look at me! I'm here to set up my court. I'm here. Where's the throne? And uh, where's the five wisest guys? Because they're going to be my advisors. You know, he wasn't looking at that. And by the way, get me some really good food right now. For thirty years, I've been eating junk. I want good stuff now. That's not what he did. He's not exalting himself. He's not making himself better than other people. This lowering, this humbling, is according to this text characterized by obedience which perfectly fits in with the idea of being a slave. What are slaves? They're obedient to their masters.
1: Eh? Here's the thing. He shouldn't be obeying anybody, we would think. But he was obedient.
0: Jesus freely embraced obedience to the law, which actually makes sense because the law represents his, the character of God, and so it, doesn't, it makes sense that he would freely submit to this character. He's trying to reveal who God is, even in his obedience. Okay? It's, it's God's unchanging revelation for all time, but, it, but, but Paul goes beyond that because he was obedient even to the point of death. Jesus freely embraced obedience to the Father's will that was for him alone. Okay, so it's not just I'm I'm obeying the law, but it was God's particular will for him as a particular person to go to death, to the point of death, and not just any death, but death upon the cross, the death of a criminal, the death of a rebel,
1: even though he was obedient. You see that? He dies as a rebel because we are the rebels. He dies as a criminal because we are the criminals. He's taking our place.
0: We aren't the obedient ones. He is. So there's, there's the gospel at work in this. But, but then there's this, this mindset that we are supposed to have that, that, you know, really, honestly, sometimes obedience feels like dying, doesn't it? doesn't it? Sometimes when God calls you to obey, it's like the last thing on earth you want to do. You feel like you're betraying yourself, and it's really difficult. Sometimes it can feel like dying, and sometimes it can really
1: mean death. Imagine for a moment, being a Christian in a Muslim country, being obedient to Jesus can mean death. How are we to have this same mindset? We're going to have the mindset of, of
0: humbling ourselves. Okay? We see this in places like 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So there's a willingness, there should be a willingness among us, a mindset among us of being, of being willing to assign ourselves a lower place. We're so much in a culture that is, that is competitive and uh, the, the, the accumulation of power that the idea of assigning ourselves a lower place is very counter-cultural. It looks stupid because we're supposed to be getting to the top of the ladder, right? And Paul says, put yourself down, lower. Don't make it all about you and all of these things. And so what we see here in all of this is that those who have been made righteous by faith become righteous in fact as they follow Jesus. My wife and I made a mistake recently. We bought a table okay and it had casters on it and we you know it was one of these things where i needed to go to the hospital so it was a very quick decision and, and i always regret quick decisions but nonetheless we packed it up in our van we brought it home we set it we cleaned it up we set it up and it was like one meal to convince me we had the wrong table because we have tile floors and Eli would hit the table and it would roll three inches. <laughs> Jaden would hit the table; would roll four inches. And so this this whole thing is going on, and I'm just like, and Amy's not there, and I'm like, Aah! you know. And uh, one of the reasons we wanted a new table was we wanted a longer table, and so when we put all of the leaves in this table, it was longer, but it didn't seem to be quite as steady and stable as the big, thick wood of our table right now. And so we decided rather quickly, it's going. <laughs> and so the goal was get the money back. And so we decided that we put it on Craigslist. We'd, we'd mark it up a little bit in, the, in the, the idea that we would negotiate or they would want to negotiate, and then we would get our original price that we paid. Okay? Fools we are, I tell you. We never checked out what it was worth. So here we have this one lady who's, she wants this table. Okay? She's willing to, like, put down a deposit so we won't sell it to this other guy who wants to come see the table. But fortunately for him, or unfortunately for him, I don't know. But he's he's like Mr. Losing Track of Time, and so he keeps forgetting his appointments, oh, I was hiking, I'll I'll, I'll come tomorrow, so anyway, her, her willingness makes me go, light bulb, hello, Steve, either she's a dealer, or she's a collector, and she probably knows what this thing is worth, why don't I check and see what this thing might be worth, okay? So, Amy and I suddenly are scrambling trying to find out what this thing is worth. And there really is, I really get to the point. Really, I will. Okay? (laughs) I'm getting there. We find out that at minimum this thing is worth $500. But we advertised it for $200. And so, you know, that night we're sort of talking about well, how do we get this woman to pay more money? (laughs) because, by golly, it's worth 500 Go to sleep, and I have one of those things where I wake up a little bit early the next morning, and that that always usually is a very productive time for me when I'm laying in bed. I'm not distracted by
1: everything, and I can just think something. Psalm 15 comes to mind.
0: can dwell upon the hill of the Lord, who is welcome in his sanctuary. And it's talking about who is, it describes in the rest of that psalm, what is the righteous man. And one of those passages from my past, which cost me a relationship, comes back into my mind. He who keeps
1: his word to his hurt. We said $200. It's $200. It pains me not to get the extra three
0: hundred dollars. I have good designs for that two hundred dollars, and by golly,
1: I deserve those two those extra three hundred dollars rather. But you see, that's what Paul's talking about. It's probably a good thing I was studying this this passage
0: in Philippians, huh? Um, while we're going through this thing this past week, say so, you know what what i want is essentially irrelevant here
1: i gave my word i have to keep my word out of obedience to god okay. that's kind of what it looks like
0: not only that but we see the hardship that comes okay the suffering that comes but w- but contrary to what i think francis chan says we do not seek to create our hardship he almost sort of has this idea of sanctifi- sanctification through suffering, so you know, choose suffering. And uh, maybe I'm mis- misunderstanding Francis Chan, but um, others have kind of talked to him about this as well. But when suffering comes, you don't run from it. That's one of the things I picked up from J.I. Packer that has been helpful for me in my entire Christian life, that we are sanctified through suffering, but we don't run into suffering but the suffering that comes our way we don't run from it we walk with jesus through it okay and we see this pattern emerging from scripture from places like romans 8 now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ indeed we if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you catch that, what, he, what Paul just did? Now is the suffering, then is the glory. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 4. But rejoice that you participate in the privileges of Christ. No that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And so the pattern of Scripture that we see that Paul and Peter use, not just here in this text in Philippians chapter 2, but that the cross for us also comes before the crown. That suffering for us also precedes glory. It's not like we come to faith and get a fast-forward to glory. First, there is suffering. And so, as a result, following Jesus means that we will freely embrace obedience and hardship. Which brings us to the third part of this servant hymn. The conclusion of it, exaltation. From incarnation and humiliation into exaltation, freely receiving honor to God's glory. The first two stanzas are really focused on what Jesus has done. And now this one focuses on what the Father does. There is a great reversal that's going to reverse the great reversal. Jesus, who was high and exalted and privileged in heaven and made himself nothing here on earth, is now going to be exalted. He is not going to exalt himself, however, but the Father exalts him. The Father Now it is in due time, the Father lifts him up and places him in the most privileged place. He's talking here about the ascension after the crucifixion. That Jesus now has been taken up into heaven, and it doesn't just have an ordinary place in heaven. He is now at the right hand of God the Father. He is seated on the throne of power and authority and glory. Not only that, but Paul says he has been given the name that is above every name. Not Jesus. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess or admit. What? That he is what? Lord. That this one that looked like a slave and acted like a slave is really Lord. Master, the one who must be obeyed, the one who though here on earth was nothing, is the one who was most glorious, most
1: beautiful. You see, Peter, John, James on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got a glimpse of that.
0: They saw him. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They, this is this is serious, and they thought that now, at the at the Pass, not the Passover, on Palm Sunday, as they're entering in Jerusalem, that suddenly it's about to be revealed. It's like it's almost like Clark Kent is about to become Superman. You know, it's almost as if Lois Lane and Jimmy know who he is, and something really bad is happening, and this is the time that Superman needs to show up. And they're going, "Come on." Jump into the phone booth. Just take off the tie.
1: Just do it, man. And Jesus doesn't do it. It's not time.
0: It may have looked like time from our perspective, but it was not time. And the Father waited until after the cross, after three days in the tomb, to raise him up. And then 40 days later, the ascension into heaven, the exaltation into heaven. It was not time. But God did restore His glory. God did restore His rights. God did restore His privileges that He enjoyed from all eternity. But again, He did not do this Himself. The Father does it Himself. He, wa- he moved Him from a slave to a king. So all who see this, bend the knee and confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord. Okay? He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Even though we cannot see this now, even though it doesn't look like it now, because the earth has not brought, been brought into full submission to him yet, it has not been revealed or manifested yet. Hebrews 2 brings up this very same thing. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not
1: yet see everything in subjection to him. But it's going to come. I like what Paul does here. To the praise of God the Father. They're all honoring the Son,
0: and yet the Father is glorified in it. It's sort of like the Father in the Stance who watches his Son
1: succeed. That's my boy. That's my boy. That glory remains concealed to all who are on earth
0: until that great last day. But again, let's get back to that, how we began this thing. We must have the same mindset as Christ. We must have patience before we freely receive honor. And you know what? We are currently seated with Christ. Ephesians 2.6 He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, that is not a future tense sort of deal right there. We have been seated by virtue of our spiritual union with him. Okay? If you're a Christian and you're you're
1: trusting in Christ, that's yours. Okay? But it doesn't seem like it now, does it? It's as good as done, but it doesn't seem like it now, does it?
0: We have to be patient and wait, and one day, in due time, He will lift us up as well. He will exalt us as well. That's why Paul makes these statements later on about, you know, you will judge the nations, you will judge the angels.
1: We will receive great glory at the end. But again, we must remember
0: that the cross precedes the crown. God will honor us, God will exalt us, but not yet, not here. And that's the whole problem with prosperity theology or word of faith theology. All of them are saying essentially now, already.
1: They take the future and they're putting it in the present.
0: And they're violating the reality of Scripture. They're making false promises because God has promised it then, not now. So Paul expects us to pattern our lives after the pattern of Jesus' life, that we too are to be freely forsaking our rights, obeying and accepting hardship, patiently awaiting honor. Too often uh, we want the glory without the cross but there is no such opportunity uh, available to us. But we are to do this, to live this way, particularly in the power of the one who did it for us. He is at work in us through the, through the indwelling power of the Spirit to replicate what he did for us.
1: In other words, there's power in the passion in more ways than we think. Let's pray.
0: Father, it is staggering for us to contemplate all that Jesus did for us and for our salvation. And as we contemplate the pattern of incarnation, humiliation, and exaltation, I ask that you would grant us hope and encouragement regarding the future. And yet, regarding the rest of this earthly life, we ask that you would give us direction, that you would continue to be at work uh, showing us where we must
1: change, where we must mature, where we must grow in obedience and humility, where we must uh, freely receive hardship. So grant us the grace of repentance
0: because we fail to do those things and help us to put on this new life that we have in Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, the
1: sanctifier of all, that he is justified. Amen.